The Cultured Meat Symposium 2023 is taking place on November 2nd and 3rd, 2023 in Las Vegas. Join us as we discuss topics of product development and manufacturing of cell-cultivated meat, poultry, and seafood technology. This year, we're doing things a little bit differently, waiving attendee fees and distributing tickets on an application basis. You heard that right. Pre-register for the event to get the latest updates on how you can secure your ticket. Learn more about the event and pre-register at www.cms23.com. Thanks for joining us on the Future Food Show. On this episode, we're excited to welcome Robert Yeaman back to the show. Robert Yeaman is the founder of Innovate Animal Ag, a new organization supporting technology that improves animal health and welfare. They're focusing on what we call in ovo egg sexing technology, which we'll dive into a little bit deeper on the show. I had a great chat with Robert and learned a lot about the future of animal agriculture. Robert, I'd like to welcome you back to the Future Food Show. Thanks. Excited to be back on the show. Robert, tell us a little bit about your background, especially what you've been doing in the cell ag industry over the last couple of years. Yeah, so I, I've been working in cultivated meat since 2017. Uh, so kind of in the early days before it was uh, as big as it was now. And most recently, I was running operations at Mission Barns, which is a a cultivated meat company focusing on fat and then using that as a food ingredient for plant-based meat. Um, and I actually left that job back in December to work on uh, this new nonprofit that uh, I, because I'll talk more about, which is called Innovate Animal Ag. Awesome. And I think, you know, when we have conversations, especially about the work that you do or kind of the work in this industry in general, it's very kind of passion fueled. Can you tell us a little bit about I guess, your passions and, and motivations and, you know, where those come from? Totally. So, you know, I've always been really passionate about uh, animals and animal welfare. And that's what initially drew me to working in cultivated meat for the first in the first place. And, you know, that was kind of one of my big motivators. And, you know, when I left Mission Barns back in December, I spent a lot of time exploring what to do, doing a bunch of reading and thinking about a lot of things. And some of the things that were really sticking out to me and I became kind of obsessed with were these polls that you see when you, you ask people about their uh, opinions and thoughts about the welfare of animals on farms. And what you find is that the data really shows that people are really care about the welfare of animals on farms. You know, I, one poll I read uh, said, for example, that like half of Americans would support the, uh, I, you know, I would support banning factory farms. And that, that result really st stuck out to me. And the more I dug, dug into it and tried to understand the, the data and the phenomenon behind this data, you know, I think it's probably not literally the case that people actually support this, but I do think it points to some underlying thing that ends up being very reproducible and very common whenever you, in, in the literature, when you study this thing, you know, 70% um, ish of people often report being uncomfortable with certain practices in farming. Um, you know, around half of people think that animals are treated well on farms and pretty much everybody believes that they are, uh, you know, can feel pain and, and deserve a good life. 
And so the, when I was reading about these polls, uh, I found myself being constantly surprised by them, which I felt was maybe a bad sign, given that, you know, there's such an important issue for me. And so the more, uh, more, the more I try to understand them, you know, my, it really changed my perspective. And I realized that there's just a lot of appetite for making sure animals have good lives on farms. And for a lot of people, it's just a no-brainer. So this is kind of what led me to start Innovate Animal Ag, because basically our approach is to support new agricultural technologies that will have a direct impact on animal health and welfare on farms. And the rationale for this is these uh, concerns that people report with the way that animals live on farms is something that's very business relevant, right? Like if you're an agricultural producer and such a large percentage of your consumers have concerns with them, your practices, that's something to pay attention to. And at the same time, businesses can really you know, differentiate, elevate their brand by uh, improving their practices and, and talking about the way that they're ensuring that you know, the animals in their um, that they're under their stewardship are treated well and have good lives. So I, be, I became really excited about this idea, and you know, one of the one of the main ways that producers can uh, improve welfare is through technology, which is kind of what my background was. You know, having spent so much time working on alternative proteins and cultivated meat. And you know, the thing that one of the things that was really exciting to me originally about cultivated meat, and, and is still a big motivator for me, is that technology can really be, uh, you know, it can align incentives. You know, consumers want to make sure that animals have good lives on farms. Um, producers have an incentive to meet consumers where they are. And then when they do that, obviously it's also with their animals because they you know, have better lives. So that, you know, that's what kind of led me to starting Innovate Animal Ag. It seemed like a very neglected approach. I didn't see a lot of uh, folks really trying to help agricultural producers uh, improve practices, especially through technology. Yeah, I took a lot of uh, inspiration from what was Temple Grandin. You know, I think she's someone who's had a huge impact on, 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 animal, on animals. And she has, I think, a lot of um, respect from the industry because she, uh, and I think she's been able to have uh, get a lot of respect and have a great reputation in industry because she has such a you know collaborative and, and, and open and supportive approach, um, trying to help producers uh, uh, treat animals better. So she, she's someone who I really kind of am modeling our approach after. Interesting. Okay, and I, I guess you know when you think of animal uh, welfare versus you know animal rights, T Temple Grandin is definitely on the animal welfare side, but more towards kind of what you're describing is, is making sure that in the traditional animal agriculture situations that we have now, what can we do to, you know, make sure that it's, it's a little bit more, a little bit more of a level playing field. But I would say that most of the time, those changes are just simply not enough for those that, that are in the animal welfare industry. Why do you think uh, that is? Is it because the technology hasn't been there? Or is it because we feel that, you know, what we have right now is enough? Any any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that's a, you know, that's a complicated question. I think there's a lot of ways you can answer that. When it comes to technology, I guess it, it, it may be useful to, to think of an example. You know, when it comes to technology, the, the thing we're focused on uh, first at Innovate Animal Ag is technologies that can determine the sex of an egg before it hatches. So just to give some background on, on that technology, in the egg industry right now, they there are producers who will produce the hens that end up laying the eggs, and these um, hatcheries, you know, have no real use for the male chicks because the you know the breeds of of chicken that lay eggs are different than the one that different than the ones that uh, make meat. So there's really no use for the males. So what they end up doing is just incubating them, hatching them, and then manually manually identifying them. Uh, you know, there are humans that go in and kind of uh, look at them, determine which ones are male, and then they immediately um, call the chicks, usually by um, you know, maceration. 
So you know, this is a uh, kind of very, it's obviously a very wasteful practice and it's a very unfortunate practice from an animal welfare perspective. And you know, to the egg industry's credit, it's something they've they've talked about um, trying to find solutions to and moving away from. Um, but the reason it hasn't happened yet is just because the technology is not there, right? So that there have been attempts uh, for the last decade or so to develop technologies that can determine whether an egg is male or female before uh, it hatches, so that you don't have to you know cull the chicks. But you know, to this point, it's, it's really been kind of you know a lab scale proof of concept. What I think is really exciting about this space now is that you're starting to see commercialized technologies in Europe. Um, that are actually succeeding in the market right now in producing eggs without abusive culling. So you, know, you, you asked why, you know, why we, you know, why we haven't made more progress maybe. And, and in this particular case, it's just because the technology hasn't been yet, been there yet. So I, th- I think there's a lot of opportunities in egg sexing and other areas to really change the way the animals are treated and the lives that they have through technology. Yeah, and let's let's dig into that a little bit more. Um, I want to step back a little bit and talk about Innovate Animal Ag. Um, and so this is a, a new nonprofit organization. Is that right? That's right, a nonprofit. Great. And are you the only founder? Do you have other team members? Um, what does the kind of founding team look like? Yeah, so it's just me at this point. We have a great team of, of volunteers that have been helping. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm the only founder. You talked about you know this egg sexing technology, but maybe let's kind of uh, uh, shine light on how the current industry works with with male culling, and mm-hmm. and maybe even thinking about you know what the, the end product is. So the the culling of male, I guess, chicks uh, happens for egg production. Is that right? That's right. Specifically uh, for the production of the layers that lay the eggs. So it's like one step upstream of like, you know, the of regular eggs. Oh, I see. Okay. So the, the, and I'll, I'll simplify this, this, uh, in, in my, uh, farming term, <laughs> farming terminology yeah. here, but okay. So if, if we want to have eggs, we're going to need egg laying hens and to have egg laying hens, we need to hatch egg laying hens, which are kind of the female chickens. Right. And you can't really decide whether it's going to be male or female with current technology. So what ends up happening is that you want to produce egg laying hens. Sometimes it's male, sometimes it's female. Right now, if it's a male, we actually just kill that, that, that animal. That's right. Can we not kill that animal and turn it into like a, a, a chicken that we eat? Uh, yeah, that's correct. So the genetics for the chickens that end up being broilers, which refers to the chickens that we eat, versus the ones that end up being egg layers, uh, are quite different. And they, you know they've been optimized over decades to really be specific to the industry that they're in. So uh, unfortunately, it's not the case that we can just raise the males for meat because um, they just you know aren't as efficient, and it doesn't make economic sense to to do so. Wow. Okay. So it's it's not only that we're just killing these these male chicks but it's just even if we wanted them to live a little bit longer to turn them into you know kfc they wouldn't be as efficient or let's say even tasty for example so we kind of deem them as completely useless that's right wow okay and how many of these chickens die Every year. Unfortunately, you know, globally, it's it's in the billions. I think between six and seven billion uh, every year uh, in the U.S. You know, you can estimate probably something like four hundred million every year uh, of these chicks end up being culled. Just from the male culling, not globally in terms of chicken consumption. Just from the culling, yeah. Wow. Okay. And so, I guess the in ovo egg sexing technology that you were mentioning earlier 
allows us to say, hey, any type of you know chicks that are going to be born, they're going to be female egg-laying hens. Is that right? That's right. So the incubation period for uh, a layer is about 21 days. And the goal is to be able to identify as early as possible which eggs are going to end up hatching males so that you can basically just destroy the egg and turn it into, into you know, some other feed product, usually animal feed. Um, and then you don't have to you know, end up killing the, the chick. You, would you not be able to eat that as a, as like a, well, I guess it's a fertilized egg, right? Yeah, there, there would be a little embryo inside. I think most people would not really be into that. <laughs> I see. Okay. So there, and there is a delicacy for people to eat fertilized eggs, but it's a very, very small amount of the eggs that we consume, I guess. Yeah. So it's not that you would like change the makeup of, I guess, what's inside the egg. You would just identify that it's going to be a male or female before it hatches. And so that way you can kind of terminate early. Uh, that is uh, 90% true. There is actually one kind of like crazy technology out there that uh, involves having embryos that are genetically male um, be born phenotypically female. It's a, it's a, it's a really wild technology that, that one interesting company called um, uh, Seuss is, is developing. But mo- for the most part, uh, all the commercialized technologies and, and most of the other technologies involve yeah, determining which eggs will end up uh, developing males and then, and then terminating those early. I see. Okay. And I guess, you know, earlier you were saying that, you know, it could go to feed. Are those chicks that are born and I guess it, culling is the, the term for just kind of like, I guess, grinding up a, a chick? Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Culling just is, refers to uh, any you know, time when you have to, you know, um, kill a bunch of animals for, because they're not uh, economically productive. Those, an, those male kind of chicks that are culled, did those turn into feed? Yeah, so it ends up going into the same um, same supply chain. You know, the, the chicks that are cold end up being turned into animal feed, and, and the eggs that are cold uh, also end up being turned into animal feed. I see. Okay, so now instead of kind of you know allowing them to be born and see the light of day, which is actually very sad if you think about it, born mm-hmm. and see the light of the day, only to be kind of you know slashed with with a, some sort of. I, I've seen the videos; they're very kind of you know sad. It's pretty yeah. much like making mulch, but instead of a tree going in, it's, it's these baby chicks. So -hmm. instead of that happening, the eggs are essentially turned into, you know, before they're even hatched, these fertilized eggs that we've identified as male are then turned into, you know, that byproduct, which could be animal feed. Yeah. What, what's the accuracy of this? It really depends. So maybe we could be good time to talk about the different types of, of solutions, but you know, the, the, the idea of egg sexing is a goal, and there are many technologies that can achieve that goal. Uh, and they have, you know, kind of different pros and cons um, and are different stages of commercialization. And so the, you know, it, kind of, it kind of varies uh, how accurate you can be uh, based on what technology you, you, uh, you're, you're using. Um, for the most part, the, you know, the commercialized technologies are aiming, aiming to have, um, you know, like a 90% plus accuracy, 95% plus uh, I, I, if I remember correctly, the accuracy for manual sexing, which is what happens now, is like ninety-eight percent. Um, so yeah, the, you, you can you can get pretty 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 accurate with a lot of these technologies. Okay, I see. And I guess um, this is going to sound like a very backwards question, but mm. um, are there any for the egg producers, or maybe even this kind of feed byproduct producers? Are there any benefits of the feed from the called male chicks than the, I guess, just the unhatched fertilized eggs? 
I'm not aware of any. It's, it's possible. I see. Okay. It, to me, it actually sounds like it would be much, you know, more things to filter through or maybe, you know, lower quality feed because you might have beaks and legs and all this other stuff yeah. in there too. Yeah, it's possible. I mean, I, I know probably in both cases they go through a significant amount of processing. So, so then um, these these technologies are available now, and you said some even on a commercial scale. Is that right? Hmm. That's right. Yeah, I, I think actually the rollout of this technology is going a lot better than a lot of people realize. You know, I think it's interesting in the food industry. You're used to thinking, and especially you know, meat and alternative proteins. You're thinking about scales that are just like kind of unfathomably huge. <laughs> uh, and so like you can be producing a lot of alternative protein and really not be making much of a dent in the overall market. But with, you know, first of all, eggs are a smaller market. And then the layers of the eggs are one step upstream. And given that each hen uh, lays, you know, 300 to 500 eggs over the course of her life, you know, the kind of scalability is maybe a tick less than, than we're used to thinking about. So you know, the, based on the, the models uh, that I've developed for innovative animal ag, you know, I'd estimate that between the 10, 10 to 20% of the total EU market is already uh, using um, this technology to, to produce the head. So, which I think is, you know, higher than most people kind of realize. And I think it's going much better uh, uh, than most people realize. Who are the producers of this technology right now? And are they, you know, is, and, and what is it? Is it a machine that identifies and, and what is the technology that, that identifies? So there are kind of like two broad classes, I would say, of technologies that are working in the market right now, each with kind of various pros and cons. <clears throat> the kind of like first and la largest class of technology is, is kind of like imaging technology. Um, so basically, there's a there's a company uh, called AgriAT, AgriAT, I think, um, and basically they will use hyperspectral imaging to basically take a you know a, a, a picture where they can see through the shell of the egg effectively. Uh, to determine um, whether the embryo is male or female. This is kind of the first technology to be, to be developed. You know, I think it's functioning in, in, in seven hatcheries in Europe right now. Uh, and there, there is another company called Orbim that has a similar technology using MRI, MRI to uh, image the eggs. So that's one class of technology. The other class is what I call allantoic sampling. Um, and basically that just refers to uh, take, putting a small hole in the shell of the egg, uh, extracting a sample of fluid, and then running some sort of analysis on that fluid to determine whether the um, egg is male or female. Um, these solutions, you know, generally work early on in the incubation. Uh, they tend to be a little more expensive, and they're kind of a little bit uh, newer, and so maybe more uh, have more room for optimization. Um, further than that, there are you know a number under number of other technologies that are um, kind of being uh, developed but aren't in market yet. Thinking about that personally. If I was to eat, uh, I guess, an egg from one of these egg-laying hens, I would definitely prefer the like you know biopsy approach than the MRI or imaging approach because hmm. it just sounds like there could be, I don't know, when you hear MRIs or CT scans, for example, there's a lot of unwanted radiation. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah, so that that's that's interesting. So then, okay, so how is Innovate Animal Ag, and can I abbreviate as IAA? Sure. Yeah, great. So how is IAA promoting these technologies and kind of what is your main focus area for, for getting all egg-laying hen producers, I guess I should say, or egg producers to use this technology? Yeah. So our main goal is to help bring this technology over to the U.S. The I don't, I don't think we've talked about it yet. The reason why technologies are, are concentrated in Europe right now is because 
the governments in Europe, led by the German government, have started to ban the practice of chick culling, um, which has caused this uh, you know, explosion of uh, development for this technology. But no eggs made in this way are currently available in the US. So that's our goal. And the way we're trying to accomplish this is, you know, as we as we talk to a lot of these companies, I think there's a lot of interest in the US market. You know, US is one of the you know, top producers and consumers of eggs. But, you know, there's like just not a lot of bandwidth um, to really pursue um, conversations with US producers. So basically, our goal is to start laying the groundwork uh, in the US for the rollout of this technology ahead of time. Um, for example, one thing we would, we would like to do is really engage with the high end of the of the US egg industry, you know, the organic, um, free range, cage free producers, and just, you know, gather a group of producers that would be excited about carrying the first uh, eggs without maybe that use of culling outside of the outside of Europe. Um, you know, I think this is a great way for, for egg producers to kind of differentiate, elevate their brand, like I was saying before, really talk about the ways in which they're making sure the animals are being treated well. So like when a technology company is ready to have conversations with the U.S. hatchery, for example, we can come to the table with a fully built supply chain uh, that uh, includes, you know, the, the egg producer, the distributor, the retailer, and say, look, here, we have the demand piece taken care of. All you have to do is figure out how to get the technology into the hatchery. So, you know, really engaging with the industry in that way is, is something we're focused a lot on. Um, secondly, I, you know, I think that there's just a lot of basic uh, research and basic work that can be done. Um, you know, I, again, coming from the alternative protein space where there's so much interest and so much attention, it, it kind of took some getting used to for me. But um, one very obvious thing is that, you know, there have been no studies to date on American consumer attitudes towards this technology and the practice of culling. Um, because it hasn't really been a, been a thing. So that's just like a very simple, low-hanging fruit, I think that Innovate Animal Ag can really help with, saying, kind of demonstrating with data that like, you know, this is something consumers will care about, people will be willing to pay a price premium for the, for eggs made in this way, and using that to, you know, again, facilitate these partnership conversations between technology companies and hatcheries. You know, going back to banning the practice of, of chick culling in, in Europe, is that, you know, was that type of, I guess, you know, regulation set forth knowing that this technology existed or, you know, what would be the alternative to not, you know, killing these uh, male chicks if there's no other, uh, I guess, food or business use for them? Yeah, it's a good question. So, you know, the, the, the reason that the practice was banned in Germany I think fundamentally it was because people were uh, against it. You know, when you, when you, you, there are polls of German consumers and uh, the practice of culling is overwhelmingly unpopular uh, over there. So I think that's kind of the fundam fundamental reason. I do think when the practice was banned, the technology was much more nascent. But, you know, I think uh, once there, the, the, you know, the German government, to its credit, you know, gave the industry a few years to... Um, figure out what to do about this. And um, they were able to come up with these solutions and start rolling them out. Um, so, and so I think these, the kind of like uh, regulatory action really spurred innovation, which is kind of an interesting, uh, interesting phenomenon. Um, also, you know, I, I, we talked about earlier how the genetics for layers and broilers are different, but that's not always the case. You know, there are certain breeds that can do both. They are kind of like, you know, less efficient in, in both regards. Um, so I think the innovosexing are, you know, longer term, are the preferable method, but um, companies can kind of fall back on these dual purpose breeds uh, or just, you know, raising the males for meat and then, you know, maybe taking an economic loss on them. Um, there are other kind of 
suboptimal options. I see. Okay. And I guess I get, I'll give you a little bit of a hard time on, on this one, but when I mm-hmm. think of, I guess, a free range organic farm, I think of like a small farm that ends up going to a farmer's market. Now, many times this is definitely not the case. These are still very mass produced, mm-hmm. um, you know, even, you know, free range organic could still be a very mass produced operation. Um, so I, I could see where going after these larger farms makes sense. But I guess if I think of that small farm or, or farmer's market type of, of seller, you know, they probably don't want to bring any additional, you know, technology to the table. Um, so I guess you're going after the still the, the bigger farms that are charging the premium. Is that right? The hatcheries where the te- this technology would be implemented and where the, the culling actually happens or it's one step upstream of like the, you know, the farmers who have the chickens that lay the eggs. Um, I see. Okay. A lot of, a lot of times actually the, you know, the kind of like high end egg producers will be buying, um, you know, the same chicks as the commodity egg producers. And then the additional cost is kind of like comes from, you know, the, um, welfare accommodations that they have on their farm, but ultimately, you know, they're, they're coming from the same commercial hatchery. Um, because, I see. You know, there's, the, the, uh, the genetics industry is like very concentrated. There's only a, a couple of companies that have uh, commercially viable um, layer uh, chicken lines. I see. Okay. Yeah. And this totally makes sense. I guess it would be kind of like a, a organic vegetable farmer buying seeds that are exactly. you know, c- certified organic. Mm-hmm. In this case, that small farm, which already charges a premium can say, Hey, I want eggs from your line of the, you know, in ovo, you know, sec, egg sexing that doesn't have the male culling aspect to it. And and then, you know, that's, that's where they would get it from. Maybe a little bit more expensive, but, you know, that price can be, you know, justified with, with the whole organic aspect. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. Exactly. Yeah. And I should uh, also just to point out that the price impact on eggs in Europe has been um, relatively modest, I would say, you know, the, you, you'll see a price increase of one to three cents per euro cents per egg, which is comparable, if not slightly lower than cage-free. And, you know, consumers have shown that they are very willing to pay a price premium for cage-free. So I think something similar will hold with, with this technology where, um, although it will be an additional cost for the egg producer and the retailer, the cost will actually just be passed on to, to the consumer. Interesting. And, and then, yeah. Yeah. One more important point is that I think that one lesson that was really kind of like etched into my brain from working on cultivated meat is this idea of starting at the high end of the market and then coming down market over time, right? This is like what happens with all alternative proteins. So I think that like, because, you know, this technology is very new. It's only been around for a couple of years. Um, you know, it's still you know, more expensive and has a lower um, accuracy than the manual uh, option. But I think longer term, as the technology becomes more developed, there's river optimization, scaling, um, you know, those sorts of uh, things will go away. So I think Getting, getting initial foothold in, in the kind of like organic free range market will allow these producers or these technology companies to really um, you know, start scaling out their technology and bring down cost at the time so that it can be a much more uh, ubiquitous thing in the future. That's an important part of the strategy. Yeah. And I guess, so my mother-in-law is actually um, sells eggs in Europe and oh, yeah. uh and yeah, they're organic free range and, and it, the customers definitely do play a premium. And I think, you know, they have no problem paying a little bit more, at least from from what I know, um, mm-hmm. 
for for this type of high quality product versus just going to the to the the grocery store and, and buying eggs there. Um, so I think that definitely makes sense. What what country is your uh, mother-in-law? So she must be uh, she must have um, have some. Do, do you know whether she's using the technology uh, for her eggs? I don't, but I will ask. You should ask. Yeah. <laughs> I'll ask and I'll put that uh, into the show notes. Yeah, because the German ban is actually already into already in effect. So eggs are either using the technology or they are um, using these dual purpose breeds or they're you know rearing the, rearing the hens for, or for sorry rearing the males for meat. Well, unrelated to the increased price of eggs here in the U.S., I do know that egg prices have been you know also going up in Europe. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, that's super interesting. Um, and so you said that there's just a few companies that are producing these kind of like going back to the organic seeds example, there's only, you know, so many places you can get, uh, you know, certified organic, um, you know, seeds for, for certain things, you know, how many of these companies are there and, uh, and what, what are some of them called? Yeah. So we have all just do a, a quick plug, you know, we have a, a full market over, um, market snapshot on the innovate animal Ag blog. And, you know, kind of goes into detail on different technologies, where they are, what the pros and cons are. Um, but uh, as far as like publicly announced partnerships, there are five companies now um, with commercialized uh, solutions. Um, the two I mentioned earlier, Orbem, Orbem with the MRI technology, and then Agri Advanced Technologies with the hyperspectral imaging technology. And then there are three with these this, these sampling-based solutions. Uh, and their names are uh, PlantEgg, Inovo, and... Um, select and select being spelled with uh, E-G-G-T as as opposed to (laughs) E-C-T. Okay, cool. And I was just looking at the Innovate Animal Ag website, and that's at animalinnovation.org. And we'll put that link in the show notes. Um, Okay, so this, this has been, you know, super fascinating. I have a great understanding of, you know, why this technology is important. I have a great understanding as to why this technology has been banned in Europe, for in Germany, for example, and uh, and what Innovate Animal Ag is really doing here in the U.S. I wanted to ask you, for our listeners, anybody who's interested, what's the best way to get involved? Yeah, great question. So I'll, I'll first say that Innovate Animal Ag is a very new organization. Um, so I would say pretty much we need help with just about everything. So if you have a uh, you know, if you, if there's some way you think you can help, I would definitely, um, uh, very happy to talk to folks, please reach out. Um, very excited to like meet other folks who are excited about the idea of using technology to help improve agricultural practices. Uh, I will say that our, our kind of two big bottlenecks right now are fundraising and hiring. So, you know, if you're, if you're excited about, uh, this approach, um, donations are, are very much appreciated. We're also um, you know, hiring a number of roles, which uh, you know you can see on our, our website, um, uh, especially roles focused on corporate engagement and communications, because that's really, I think, what will help the uh, Innovo egg sexing work in the U.S. Um, also, you know, uh, would love to you know work with volunteers who are excited about what we're doing um, for that. Um, please feel free, feel free to reach out. Great. And are you or will you be registered as, you know, 501c3 status? Uh, we're, we don't currently have 501c3 status, but if you make a donation this year and then we get our 501c3 status this year, which I am very confident that we will, then your donation will be retroactively tax deductible. So for most, for practical purposes, um, it will be tax deductible, but I can't pr- promise that for, for sure. 
Okay, great. And I guess, you know, the, the regulation has passed in Europe. Is there any kind of new regis- legislation that will potentially ban uh, the male culling here in the U.S. or anything that we can do to speed up that process as U.S. citizens? You know, it's, it's interesting. I think that the different these sort of things happen differently in different countries. Um, I think the, 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 the governments in Europe um, certainly have a different mindset towards this than, than the U.S. government uh, does. Uh, there have been various regulatory actions uh, in the U.S. around egg production, you know, most notably um, bans on the production of uh, like eggs from cage systems in favor of cage-free systems. Um, I don't think there's any uh, active proposals to target uh, the practice of culling. And in my opinion, uh, it, it's unlikely that it would happen absent of there being kind of like natural um, uptake in the market. You know, when cage bans went into effect, there were obviously producers in the U.S. that could produce eggs, uh, cage-free eggs. And I think that was you know, part of the rationale is that, you know, the, uh, producers had other options. But with this, in this case, it's, it's, it's not, it's producers would not have other options. So I think, you know, given the way the U.S. is, is structured, I think most likely uh, the first step is to start introducing the technology uh, into the height of the market via just like natural market mechanisms uh, and, then, and, then seeing, and then going from there. Okay, excellent. Well, Robert, thank you so much. I've definitely learned a lot about this kind of, you know, interesting technology. Thanks so much for being a guest on the Future Food Show. I really appreciate you having me on. This is your host, Alex, and we look forward to seeing you on our next episode.